You're listening to the Q's Podcast, episode 114. Hello, Q's Nation. Welcome to the show. My name is James Lenz, Q's Professional Development Manager. On behalf of Credit Union Executive Society, we thank you for joining us today. As you know, we use this podcast forum to speak with credit union industry leaders and cross-industry experts for a wide range of perspectives on trends and topics relevant to you. Our guest for today is Michael Bach. Michael is internationally recognized as a thought leader, motivational speaker, and subject matter expert in the fields of diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility. Having received numerous awards throughout his career for his work, Michael is the CEO of the Canadian Centre for Diversity and Inclusion, which helps employers create inclusive workplaces in Canada and around the world. He is also author of the book, Birds of All Feathers, Doing Diversity and Inclusion Right. In this episode, Michael shares his support why it is so important for organizations to have a diverse executive team. He'll also share some action steps towards creating a more inclusive, representative, and equitable society. In addition, you'll have a chance to hear from a member of Q's Podcast Nation. One of our listeners submitted a question, and we'll tackle that and more in this 114th episode of the Q's Podcast. Here's my interview with Michael Bach, CEO of the Canadian Centre for Diversity and Inclusion. Hi, Michael. Thank you for spending some time with Q's Podcast Nation today. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Now, in an effort to get our listeners to get to know our guests a little bit, I often ask my guests if they have a mantra or success quote that they live by professionally. Michael, do you have a success quote or mantra that you'd be willing to share with our listeners? That's a great question to start off with. I would say that um, it's a bit funny, but... uh, what doesn't kill you didn't try hard enough. I'm, you know, a person who is constantly focused on moving forward and success and change. And I try to keep things a bit light in the work I do. And that's one of my favorite mantras. I like it. Now, how do you define leadership? It's neat to follow a little bit about your evolution as a professional and now as leader of the organization. But can you explain what you mean by leadership and maybe give an example? Yeah, when we talk about leadership, we tend to talk about leaders, you know, the CEO, the C-suite executives. But I think that leadership is a behavior that can be exhibited by anyone in the organization, because we all have the potential to impact our coworkers' experience in the workplace. Regardless of whether or not we are a subordinate, whether we work directly with a person at all, we have the potential to impact that experience. And I would say that leadership is about how you act in an organization, in an environment, in a community, in terms of the way you treat other people. Because you set an example, and that's what leadership is. You lead by example. And it is about your own behavior, regardless of whether or not you think you have any any power in the organization, Mm -hmm. you have a lot of power. Very nice. Now, Michael, you are the leader of the Canadian Center for Diversity and Inclusion. What experiences led you to creating the Canadian Center for Diversity and Inclusion? I've been working in diversity for about seven-ish years at that point, and I felt that there was really a gap in the Canadian landscape. 
as it relates to diversity and inclusion. There wasn't a single organization where I, as a diversity and inclusion practitioner, could turn to in order to access resources and really figure out what I was dealing with. Keeping in mind that Canada is the second largest country in the world physically, but we've got a population that is smaller than the state of California. So we have a very large country, small populations spread out quite dramatically. And then there's lots of different groups underneath the umbrella of diversity. So there was a real challenge in, in looking at this conversation holistically across the country. So I started to sort of scribble on the back of napkins what I envisioned would be helpful for me as a DNI practitioner and led that into some iteration. And eight years later, I am now the CEO of the organization and we're, we're doing pretty good. And just as a side note, where did you receive a, a lot of your DEI training from? I went to Cornell University and did a master's certificate in diversity management. Wonderful. Wonderful. We have a program through eCornell right now, uh, ah, and a lot of our members are going through it at our current time of this recording, so fantastic. Great school. Now, and, and so, Michael, if you could share with us how your organization helps other organizations today, I mean, what resources does your organization provide? So, we're an educational charity, and meaning that we provide employers with educational opportunities around diversity and inclusion. That comes in the form of monthly webinars, which we do at least two a month on a variety of topics. We do, at least historically, we've done in-person events twice a year. We're now doing those online. And we do an annual conference, again, which we're doing online. But normally, it would be done in nine communities across the country. So we we look at it from a scaling perspective of you know a webinar. It's one hour. It's you know it's informational. It's not necessarily a deep dive. Our community of practice events get a little deeper and then our conference gets much deeper. It's a full day exploration of one topic. So each of those kind of builds on the other. And then we do our own research. We develop toolkits. Again, the whole focus for us is on how do we help employers create inclusive workplaces by creating resources that will help them with that work. Thank you for sharing that. Michael, it says on your website, if Diversity is our strength. Inclusion is our superpower. What do you mean by that? I live in the city of Toronto. And one of our mottos in the city is diversity is our strength. And Toronto is a very diverse city. We have people from hundreds of different countries that call Toronto home. And I came up with that slogan as I was working on my first book. Because it's not enough to just have diversity. We have to have inclusion. We have to create spaces where people can not only exist, but can be welcomed. Mm -hmm. They won't face racism, violence, sexism, homophobia, etc. And I think that in order for us to make sure that our spaces are welcoming, we need inclusion as our superpower. It's our, our special strength, this thing we can do that We'll get the most out of our people that will create higher levels of engagement and productivity. It, it is the, the secret sauce, if you will, on top of diversity, because we talk so much about diversity and probably not enough about inclusion. And just for clarity purposes for our listeners, could you define diversity and inclusion? Sure. So the word diversity is about difference. 
It is about all of the things that make a person unique. We tend to historically look at underrepresented or marginalized groups, women, people of color, people with disabilities, indigenous people or Native Americans, LGBT people. But the truth is the word diversity is about difference of all kinds. And that includes straight, white, able-bodied men. Not to say that they're marginalized or underrepresented. That's not the point. It is to say that they are different from me. As a gay man who lives with a disability, they are different from me. And so diversity is about all the things that make you different. Inclusion is about creating space where all of those things are welcome, where people can come to work or go to a community center or a school or a credit union and be welcome and be embraced for who they are. Just before we record this, I was actually on a call and was talking with the person about me and my husband. And at no point was there any hesitation in their voice. They referred to my husband as my husband. We are legally wed. And that is an act of inclusion in making sure that there wasn't a pause that they didn't change the language and say partner instead of husband, that I felt welcomed in that conversation. And that's what inclusion is all about. All right. And, uh, you know, now would be actually a good time based on what you just stated recently. We had a listener question that pertains to the subject we're talking about here today. And it is Russ Siemens. I'm going to go ahead and play his audio right now and wonder if you could respond to his question. My name is Russ Siemens, and I'm a director on the board of Innovation Credit Union in Saskatchewan, Canada. And my question is this. The Canadian Centre for Diversity and Inclusion says that encouraging and promoting awareness of what racism is and what it isn't is a necessary requirement for effectively addressing systemic racism. So what can credit unions do to lead in the discussion and understanding of what systemic racism is, and equally important, what it is not? That's my question. So it's a great question. And we're living in a time when we're having conversations about systemic racism. And I personally very pleased that we're having these conversations. I think the first thing that credit unions can do is acknowledge that systemic racism exists, that our countries, the United States, Canada, are built on what is effectively racist principles. We're colonized countries. We came to these lands, our forefathers came to these lands and took the land from the indigenous peoples of these lands. We have to acknowledge that. We have to acknowledge that there are systems of racism in place in every aspect of society owning property, credit as a whole. These are concepts that may or may not be foreign to Indigenous peoples. And so that's the first step. Then it's examining everything that you do as an organization and figuring out where there are opportunities for change to be more inclusive, to break down those walls of systemic racism. And I'll give you an example. It's a, it, these are very benign examples, but they're ones that I think really articulate the, the situation. So every university in Canada and the United States has an English department. They then have a languages department. Now, to my understanding, 
English is a language. And yet we have a separate department for English because, of course, it is supposedly the dominant language in our countries. Canada, however, is a bilingual nation. We also have, I'm in the city of Toronto, as I mentioned, and something like 48% of the citizens of Toronto don't speak English or French as a primary language. It's debatable whether or not English is actually our dominant language. But having a languages department versus an English department is a constant reminder that English is the preferred language. It's the better language. And that's a benign example, but it's one that really articulates maybe we could put English under languages to acknowledge and recognize that all language has value. Another example in universities would be that every university has a classics department. But what's covered under classics? It's exclusively Greek and Roman. There is nothing under classics that covers anything from Asian communities, African communities, the whole Ibero-American or South American communities, uh, indigenous communities. Why, why don't we get classics that cover indigenous experience? That's a classics I would love to class that I would love to take. But again, it sends a message that the Eurocentric approach to life on earth is the better, is the preferred. And it's a matter of breaking down those systems. So to answer Russ's question, it's about looking at everything you do and figuring out where the barriers are and then dismantling them. And it really is very much hitting reset, blow it up and start over. You may find that the best way to do things is the way you were doing them. But as long as you've done that in consultation with different communities, then you will get to the right answer versus making the assumptions on their behalf. Great articulation there, Michael. And I think you're going to bring up a lot of discussion from your response. I think it's even you know unexpected from that example. But it just showcases an example of how to use that kind of thought and logic in other forms and practices. So, yeah, yeah thank you. It, it's, it's important to remember that what we're not talking about necessarily is individual acts of racism. You know, I call someone the N-word. That is an individual act of racism versus the systems of racism that our countries are built on. And that's what we're trying to focus on. All right. Now, can you articulate to our readers a few reasons why it is so important for a business or an organization to have a diverse executive team? And what are some, you don't have to list all of them, but what are some action steps to create a more inclusive, representative, and equitable society? Well, the reason why it's important is simply about talent. If you if you look at the numbers, and I'm going to do these off the top of my head, I don't have them written down, but people of color in the United States make up roughly about 40-42% of the available workforce. And in Canada, it's about 23%. If you look at the number of women who have graduated with undergraduate degrees, it's now 60% of undergraduate degrees are taken home by women, but it's been over 50% since 1979-1980. If you just look at the sheer numbers, you cannot tell me that if you look at an executive team that is predominantly or exclusively straight, white, able-bodied men, that you actually have the best and the brightest. You don't. You Statistically, you don't. Because you don't have a representative amount of talent. So the number one reason is about talent. 
It's about making sure that you are, in fact, hiring and promoting the best and the brightest. The number two reason is the customer. And it is about who is walking in the door to do business with your organization. Credit unions, as an example, are a relatively North American concept. You know, if you go into China, as an example, that concept doesn't really exist in the same way it does here in Canada or the United States. So you then have an uphill climb in terms of convincing newcomers to our lovely continent that they should, instead of going with Bank of America or TD, that they should go with a credit union. So it's about the customer. It's about the changing face of the customer. In the United States, we bring in a million newcomers a year. In Canada, it's it's about 400,000. So that's 1.4 million new potential customers every year. It's about who the customer is. It's about making sure that you're recognized as an inclusive organization for customers. And the third is your brand. And how are you known as an organization, which of course impacts the customer and your talent. Because of course, if you're known as a homophobic organization, as a sexist organization, et cetera, I'm not applying to that organization and, or I'm not doing business with that organization. It's a circle. It's a three-legged stool and each piece is interconnected. And it's, it's a simple business case. It's not about the right thing to do. I don't use the social justice argument of the right thing to do. And that's because simply put, it assumes that we all know what the right thing to do is. And it assumes we all agree that it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do for your business. It's the right thing to do for your top and bottom line. The social impact happens, but I believe that in order for it to be long-term, it needs to be part of your operations and you need to look at it from a business perspective. In terms of what you can do to be more inclusive, and I outlined this in the book, there's sort of a six-step process that I've outlined. Write a business case. Why does it matter? What's Why are you focused on this? Conduct some form of assessment. Understand what the challenges are that you're facing. Develop a strategy. How are you going to address the problems that you have identified? Execute on that strategy. This is where we do the hard work. Measure. How are you going to know if you've been successful? Everything you put in your strategy should have some form of measurement. And then rinse and repeat. Understanding that diversity and inclusion is a journey without a destination. You are constantly on this road toward something. And the finish line is just constantly moving. So you have to go back and revisit your strategy. You have to conduct an assessment every few years. You have to come up with a new strategy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's a constant effort, but the whole point is it's work. I promise you, if you do nothing, nothing will happen. If I don't go to the gym, I don't lose weight. Trust me, I can speak from experience on this one. (laughs) But if you do nothing, nothing will happen. And this is the number one failing of employers that I've seen, not just in Canada and the United States, but around the world in, in doing this work, where they think that a potluck lunch is somehow creating an inclusive environment. It is not. It's lunch. So you need to put in the effort and treat it as a real business priority. Great clarity, Michael. And this conversation that's, you know, about 30 minutes long, I'm sure by the end here, but it's more than that. It's going to bring out a lot more discussion. Thanks to you. In addition to that, 
I was going to bring up what you just mentioned, your book. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's entitled Birds. And we, by the way, you said uh, your first book. So that means you have a second book <laughs> that you're writing. <laughs> so maybe we'll have to connect with you in a, another episode here in the, in the future here. But Michael, you authored the book entitled Birds of All Feathers, Doing Diversity and Inclusion Right. Can you share some insights for our listeners in case they want to consider purchasing it? Yeah, it's a how-to guide. It is very much sort of the roadmap. When I wrote it, I envisioned a variety of different readers. I envisioned CEOs and C-suite executives. I envisioned middle managers, entrepreneurs, sole proprietors, people who are just looking at this diversity and inclusion thing and thinking, how do I do this? And so I wrote a book that said, here's how you do it. Just read these 200 pages. You'll be fine. It, it really isn't that challenging. And I wrote it in a way that is simplistic to some extent. And it really does have all the answers in very, very concrete ways so that there wasn't this, okay, I read the book and then I have to hire Michael Bach to write my strategy. No, you don't. You don't need to do that. You can write it yourself. Here's the process. It's also a fun book. Like I use a lot of humor in it. I fancy myself funny. I don't know if I actually am, but you know, whatever. Um, it's the good thing of writing a book. You don't have to wait for the laughter. Uh, and it is a quick read. So it takes about, uh, I'm told it takes about two and a half, three hours to read it. If you listen to the audiobook, it's about five hours because I talked really slowly during the audiobook. Um, but uh, it's, you know, I think it is, it serves its purpose of helping anybody who reads it to get their brain around their role in addressing diversity and inclusion. Terrific. If listeners want to get a hold of you, your organization, your book, can you share best means to doing so? Absolutely. If you want to get in touch with me, you can go to my website, michaelbach.com, or you can connect with me on social media. I'm at diversitydudemb. All right. That's fantastic. Thank you, Michael, for being such an enthusiastic and insightful guest on today's show and sharing your insights with Q's Podcast Nation. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the show, Q's Podcast Nation. You might also be interested in our new Q's Advanced Management Program from Cornell University. Master the C-Suite Mindset. Emerging leaders, under the guidance of 11 Cornell faculty members, you will deepen your knowledge of what it takes to be a successful credit union executive. For more information and to register, visit cues.org slash eCornell hyphen CU manager. You may also recall that Michael Bach received his training from Cornell University. At the time of this recording, Cues has a full class of participants currently going through our first offering of our Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Cornell Certificate Program. To find out how you can earn the prestigious Diversity, Equity, Inclusion Certificate Program that Cues offers, visit cues.org slash eCornell hyphen DEI. If you're a Cues member, you have access to invaluable membership benefits to further enhance your development. Visit cues.org slash membership to learn more. Cues is an international credit union association. Our mission is to educate and develop credit union CEOs, executives, directors, and future leaders. To learn how Cues can help you realize your potential, visit cues.org today.